And if you brought a copy of Scripture with you today, you can find the book of Philippians as we begin a new series there. And you can put a bookmark in Acts chapter 16 as well. We start in Philippians. The eighth verse in the first chapter goes like this. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And that's exactly how I feel here this morning, coming back after a three-month sabbatical. And I want to say thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your support. Thank you to the pastoral staff here at Sailorville Church and to the tremendous preaching that took place. I thank you personally, Chuck DeClean and Kurt DeGraff and Jason Jackson and Lucas Bear and in a very special way, Brad Posit. Let's thank them for all they did throughout this summer. Several weeks ago, I snuck in. You didn't know. Some of you saw me. I snuck in, sat in the recesses of the sound room. Somebody walked by, and they looked up, and they went, I went, and they went. (laughs) I just got tired of visiting other churches. I so wanted to be back amongst here, amongst you. And I sat back there, and without realizing it, I just got completely swept up into the worship. My heart was completely swept up into the worship. And uh, the, the music, the preaching, Pastor Chuck was preaching on that day. And it wasn't like I wanted to be up here in the platform. I just wanted to be with you. And there, as I looked over the, uh, over the auditorium, over the sanctuary, I thought, oh, I just, there's, there's somebody. I, oh, I, wanna, I just wanted to go out there and shake hands and give hugs. And that's why these last couple of weeks have been really, really good for us to be back, even though I haven't been preaching. And so here I am. I'm so glad to be back. I'm so glad to start this new series off. My heart is full. It really, really is. And that really is my opening question. A little bit along the line, the whole focus today is going to be on our hearts. So my question to you today, as honest as you can possibly be with yourself, how would you describe your heart right now, where you're at, where you're seated? How would you describe your heart? I thank my God upon every single remembrance of you. Is it a thankful heart? Do you have a confident heart? Being confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will bring into completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's a confident heart. Is it a a Christ-magnifying heart? According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing will I be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so even now, Christ will be magnified in me, whether by life or by death. Is it a sacrificial heart. Can you really say, for me to live is Christ, to die is, is gain? Do you have a humble heart today? Because chapter 2 is going to tell us, uh, don't look out for your own interest, but also on the interest of others. Let this mind, let this mind, let this attitude, let this heart be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who condescended in the ultimate of condescensions, Right? Do you have a humble heart? 
Do you have a Christ-exalting heart? Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Things in heaven, things on earth, things under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is, he is boss. He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Do you have a Christ-exalting heart today? By the way, Jesus and Jesus Christ, that or Christ, but either the combination or just Jesus is used 17 times in this letter that Paul has to the Philippians. He's all about Jesus. Or, or do you have a complaining heart? We're being honest now. Do you have a murmuring heart? Do you have a grumbling heart? Are you a whiner? Chapter 2, verse 14 let everything be done without what? Murmuring, grumbling, arguing. Do you have one of those argumentative hearts? Is your heart righteous? Because that's the ultimate question, isn't it? Do you have a righteous heart? In chapter 3, he's going to say, I want to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is in accordance with the law, but the righteousness of God, which comes by faith in Christ, the righteousness of God in Christ. Are you righteous? Is your heart righteous? And if it is, then you can become worshipful. Is your heart worshipful today? The very next verse where he says, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Is that your kind of worship? Is that your heart this morning? Do you have a ready to move on kind of a heart? Or are you one of those individuals who you love to sit back on your laurels? You like to look in the past. Remember the good old days when you sat under Reverend Wonderful, whoever he was? And these wonderful things are happening in this church or that church, and it's always about the things that took place 20 years ago. Let me tell you something. I've been here 20 years, and a lot of cool stuff has taken place. But the Apostle Paul says in chapter 3, verse 14, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the high calling of God which is in Christ Jesus. I want to move on. I want to have a heart that says, let's move on from here. Would that describe yours today? Is your heart rejoicing? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. But you can't do that when you're all weighed down, can you? You can't do that when you're depressed, when you're anxious, when you're burdened, when the load is too hard to bear. And so you know it because many of you have memorized it. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, you let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all comprehension will set a military garrison around your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. And aren't you glad? That's not, a, that's not just a whimsical verse to quote. Just a, just a couple of weeks ago, a very popular pastor in California preached on the subject of depression and anxiety and burdensome, and he confessed that he struggled with these things, and he gave them the eggs, and he told them how they could get victory over their anxiety, and then he went off and he killed himself. This is serious business. 
when you have an anxious, or an anxious rather, heart. Is your heart content? Would you really be able to sit there this morning and say, my heart is content? Now, Paul tells us that's a learning thing, right? I've learned that in every situation to be what? Content. And finally, do you have a, do you have a reliant heart? A Tim Tebow doesn't own Philippians 4.13. Nevertheless, I can do all things through Christ who what? Who strengthens me. That's, my reliance is upon him. And that's why we can say later, that's why he can say later on, I, my God will supply all my need according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus, right? There's an answer for every one of those kinds of hearts and more in this letter. Maybe that's why pound for pound, it's the most quotable book in the entire Bible. So the question I have for you this morning is, how is your heart, and has it been opened to God and by God? Because I can't think of things that are more sad than a heart that's not open to Jesus, right? Paul loved this church at Philippi. He loved this church. He planted it during his second missionary journey, and I can't prove it, but I'm pretty sure it was his favorite absolute favorite church. I mean, who else do you say things like this in verse 7 of, of chapter 1? It's right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. Who do you talk like that about? Except people who are very, very near and very, very dear to you. Someone has said that God doesn't have favorites, but he does have intimates, and I think that would be true of Paul. He was most intimate with the church at Philippi. While he's writing years later, from the time he planted it, from a, a Roman prison, he literally struggled saying goodbye to these people. He, he just struggled. I mean, chapter 3 and verse 1, finally, my brothers, and then he gives, writes two more chapters. He just can't say goodbye. In fact, he has to pick it up again in chapter 4 and verse 8 when he says, finally, brothers. He's like the guy, he's like the friend who goes to the door, you're walking to the door, and you, then you have another 30-minute conversation before they leave. That's Paul. He loves these people. When my wife and I uh, went on sabbatical, even as we were preparing for it, it, it's sort of like it caught her off guard. She said, well, I mean, I mean you're not preaching, right? And I said, no. Uh, but we can go to church, right? I said, well, <laughs> I know we're not going to go to church there either. Well, what do you mean? Why can't we go? This is our church. I said, I know, but we want to give, you know, Brad a little chance to spread his wings and, you know, lead the church. And I want to be a, what are you talking about? We can't go to our church. I said, it's, we're coming back, honey. We're coming back. We got into a conversation like three weeks into the sabbatical, and she goes, I think we got disciplined out of the church. I said, no, this is supposed to be a reward, honey. What was she missing? She was missing the koinonia of the church. That's the word fellowship used repeatedly. In, in fact, it's one of the major themes of the book of Philippians is fellowship. The, the word koinonia means to partner. It means to share. It means it really is a heart-on-heart -heart kind of a thing. It's, it's a very intense, very intimate kind of a thing. And of the three major themes of Philippians, here's one of them, the fellowship of the believers. 
The first time it comes up is in chapter 1, verse 5. He says, because of your partnership, there it is, koinonia, there, your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul is so intimate with these, and we are to be intimate with one another. How are you, how can you be intimate with a church of, of 1,000, 1,100, 1,200, 1,300 more people coming? How's that happen? I mean, now admittedly, we make a big deal out of memberships. We all, out of membership, we always have, because when you join the church, you're saying something. What you're saying is, I'm all in. I'm all in. I believe what you believe. I want to walk the way you're walking. I want to go the way you're going. That's what you're saying. And when you don't join the church after, after, after having been here for years, and you don't join the, I, you, may, you may not realize this, but you're also saying something. And you're saying the very opposite. You're saying, I'm not all in. Not all, anyway. I love you. I like the church. I like these people. But I, there's something about you. I, something about what you believe I don't believe. There's something about your philosophy of ministry I, not, I don't agree with. You're saying something. And so then from there, what we do is, what we do is we encourage you to start to get a hold of and get a grasp of what it means to fellowship. And that's the reason we have what we, our small group system are called cell groups. The bodies is made up of cells. And our cell groups come together for all of this kind of koinonia, the sharing, the burden bearing, the partnering, the loving one-on-one -on -one for one another. I was just driving down the road the other day listening to that great gospel song by Bob Seger, I Feel Like a Number. It's not really a gospel song, by the way. 70s guy, coming to Des Moines in about a month or two. Anyway. <laughs> you got a song, I Feel Like a Number. Just the title of the song tells you what it's all about. Everywhere I go, I just feel like a number. I used to work for John Deere. There were 14,000 people working there in Waterloo. For, and and, and I, was, I was Pat Nimmers. No, I wasn't. I was 34844. That's who I was. They could care less about my name. They just wanted to make sure I punched in and I punched out. I was 34844. Let me tell you something. In God's church, in God's fellowship, you're not just a number. You are, as, the, as Isaiah said, Quoting God when he said, Hear, O Israel, I'm the Lord who created you. I redeemed you. I've called you by your name. You are mine. Grasp the fellowship of the believers. The other theme is the joy of the believers. This is the one we've chosen to sort of put as an overarching theme, the joyful life. And we're going to spend time unpacking what it really means to be joyful because it doesn't matter how many times you preach on this, nobody seems to get it. We continually equate joy as synonymous with happiness. It's not. Paul's in a prison when he writes 16 times about joy. It'll, uh, just one illustration will suffice and we'll move on. Just, just the other day, I, I got a, a text from a, a young pastor I've been mentoring the last couple of years from another state. He was, he's in a church hyper-conservative, hyper-militant, uh, ostensibly gospel, but the deacons were running the church and they were just making his life miserable. And I was encouraging him to, to challenge him. He was godly, he loved the word, he loved the gospel, he loved souls. He had an epic meeting with the leadership, i.e. the deacons. And uh, basically, as, 
as he pushed them back, they pushed him out. And he resigned under a cloud, not because of his character or of his godliness, just because he wanted to move forward. And I felt so bad for him because I was encouraging him through this whole process. And he, with his permission, he, I, I, I shared what he texted to me the other day. In the midst of all, has lost his job. He's out of a job. Young family, little kids. He said, Pat, I've never been more sincerely grateful and joyful in all my life. And he meant it. Why would you, what? That's the kind of joy that Paul's talking about here. It's the joy that supersedes your circumstances. Be it good, bad, or otherwise. It's this kind of joy that we're going to be delving into and unpacking in the months to come. And, and then the third theme is the heart of the believers. The word that's used repeatedly 16 times, again, just like joy, 16 times in the book of Philippians is, is the word phreneo. It's the word translated mind or attitude. In fact, it's right there in Philippians 2.5. I'll show it to you. Have this mind. There it is, phreneo. There's the word. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. The word literally means, watch this, the, the word literally refers to the parts around your heart. And of course, keeps the heart going, right? So this letter is going to be dealing with our hearts over and over again. So if you are an insufferable sourpuss, you might want to take a sabbatical next couple of months. I'm just telling you right now. Because this is going to be rough on you unless you're willing to let God change your heart, which is what I'm hoping you will be. Now, speaking of which, back on sabbatical, my wife and I were gone for about half the time visiting six different states, taking people out who had invested in our lives, thanking them for what they've done for us, taking them to the restaurant of their choice, and again, just saying, thank you. It was an amazing thing, one of the most humbling things we have ever done. But what you don't know is that in the middle of it, because only a few people knew it, my wife had a heart situation, a physical heart situation. And in between these trips, she was in and out of several specialists. And throughout that time, our, the anxiety that Paul talks about in chapter 4 was starting to come. We were concerned. And she went through a battery of examinations. Until finally she sat before a doctor who said, I think you're just fine. Okay. <laughs> She's fine. Thank you very much. Praise the Lord. But it gave us a scare for a little bit. This letter to the Philippians is going to take you and I through a battery of heart exam examinations. And it's going to uncover some stuff that you're not going to be pleased with but it'll be good for you and for me as God unearths stuff in our lives that need to be exposed, put out there, repented of, changed. Because this, this epistle's all about the heart. So how is your heart this morning? 
This, again, is going to take us through a battery of examination. It's going to reveal, when my wife was going to all these examinations, the, 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 the doctors kept saying, here's an anomaly. This shows an anomaly. This is an anomaly. I'm sick and tired of anomalies. It just meant something's wrong here. As it turned out, it wasn't as wrong as they thought. But this letter is going to reveal some anomalies in our lives because it's so focused on the heart. So let's conclude our time this morning by going to the time when this church was established. Back to Acts chapter 16, the Apostle Paul on his second missionary journey, and he's just trucking westward, cutting through towns left, right, and center. We'll pick it up in verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. That would be eastward. And when they had gone up to Mycenae, they attempted to go to Bithynia, again, east. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Now we'll stop there. It, it's a little bit like the hot-cold game, you know, where you, you blindfold somebody and they're looking for something, you know, you're getting, you're getting colder, you're getting colder, you're getting hotter, you're getting hot, you're getting wet, you know. It's not quite like that. But when you're following God and the Spirit of God lives within you, you don't have somebody from outside telling you. You have somebody from inside telling you you're getting warmer. You're getting colder. He directs us. The Spirit of God is constantly directing us. And the key to being directed by God, keep in mind this whole thing is Paul going this way, wants to go this way, forbidden to go that way, go this way. I mean, we... We, we read passages like this and we say, oh, I want this in my own life. You can have it. The key is to have your heart changed by God, to be walking with a heart for God. You keep moving in the will of God. You got to keep moving. I remember years ago, uh, many years ago, Chuck DeClean, goes, he goes, I'm not that good of an evangelist. I just keep on moving. And I think he drove home the point right there. You keep on moving. And when you keep on moving, God keeps on leading. That's what he does. About a week into my sabbatical, not even a week, a couple days into my sabbatical, I, went, I was in a business, and I ran into a gentleman, really nice guy. We talked just ever so briefly, and uh, I was getting a cup of coffee, and we ch chatted, and I just said, I asked him, I said, hey, are, are you interested in spiritual things? I've asked that question probably hundreds of times. And he kind of looked at me like, Neh. and I said, hey, don't worry about it. No full corp, you know, pressure here, no press going on. But if there's a time when you'd like to just talk about God, how to know God, how to have a relationship with God, hey, I want to be there. I'll have a cup of coffee with you. That was it. Just like that. Because I told our group when I was leaving, I might not be coming to church, but neither am I going to hide it under a bushel. You got to keep moving in the will of God. And again, just so that we don't just run over all these towns, they were actual towns. Archaeologists dug up most, if not all of them. This, the trek was westward. I want you to notice in verse, in verse 7 where he talks about his desire to go to Bithynia. Do you see that? Again, Bithynia was east. That's where Paul wanted to go. That's when the vision we're about to see occurred, which would point them westward again, and eventually to Philippi, eventually to Rome, eventually to the United States of America. Aren't you glad? Christianity would 
would post its flag in, in, in Europe going toward the west for the first time in the city of Philippi and keep on going from there. The world would look very different if Paul had resisted the Spirit of God at this moment. This was like critical here. He does get a vision, which would be nice. Verse 8, so passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. That would be the northern part of Greece. That would be where Philippi was and many other towns we're familiar with. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God called us to preach the gospel to them. I, I, really? I mean, we'd like to have this, wouldn't we? Wouldn't it be nice? You know, I don't know where to go. I think I'll look for a vision. It'd be nice if God would just give us a vision and direct us and redirect us. He could. I don't doubt that he does on rare occasions. He might not give you a vision if you know him and your heart is right with him, but he will direct you if your heart is open and you are moving that's what Jesus said. He who has my commandments and keeps them, that's the one who loves me. Your heart's in the right place. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. Guess what? I'll love him too. And I will declare, I will disclose, I will show, I will manifest myself to him. But you know what that means? That means he's going to direct you as you move in the will of God. Two weeks ago, I came back from the sabbatical into the office with all the meetings and all of that. And um, on the day I came back, I said to my wife, I said, I just, and I said to God in our devotion that morning, I said, God, I just want something fresh. I want to go in the spirit of, you know, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before. God, would you just open up a brand new door for me to talk to somebody about Jesus? Would you just open up their hearts and allow me that opportunity? And within an hour... Somebody befriended me on Facebook. I looked at their name. I didn't even recognize the name. It's one of those things where you look and say, oh, you got a couple of, oh. Suddenly I realized who it was. It was the guy I talked to in the establishment three months or right into my sabbatical. And pop, up comes a text. Here's the text. I kid you not, I give it to you word verbatim. How's your sabbatical going? Is it too late to take, to talk over some coffee? I hope not. I remember said you, you said you'd be willing to sit down and talk about God, and I think I'm ready to do that. Okay, that wasn't a vision. That wasn't an angel. But it was God. Would anybody deny that? I meet with this guy and his girl, and God is doing some things. He's opening hearts. It's a wonderful thing. Stay tuned. So Paul's being directed by God, by the Spirit of God. It's on to Philippi, which, we, which would become the St. Louis of the first century. It was the gateway to the West. And the key to the gate was the heart of a woman. Chapter 16, verse 12, they, there they went, they, 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 they finally go to Philippi, which was, this tells you all you need to know, leading city, about 10 miles inland, of the di district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. 
We remained in the city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. You know, the women have always outclassed the men. Can I get a, a female amen? They have always outclassed the men. And there's no different here. It, it took 10 Jewish men to have a synagogue. They couldn't even find 10 men to come together to be worshipers of God. She's described as a worshiper of God with these other women. And Paul sits down and has a dialogue, which is what he did. And, and notice what it says about her. She's, uh, verse 14, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods. So she worked on Saks Fifth Avenue. She was all about wardrobe and beauty. But look how she's described. It's up there for you to look at now. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Now, I want you to just stare at this because the book of Acts is not meant to be a theological treatise. But this is one of the greatest theological statements you'll ever lay your eyes on right here. In juxtaposition, side by side, as it always is, this is how God saves people. God opens the heart and we respond. God redeems, we receive. That is always the order in which it is. You have nothing in yourself. There is nothing in you that, could, that would go to God on your own. He has to open your heart. While on sabbatical, I came back on the grid for a funeral. It was the funeral of my dear friend and distant cousin, Mike Nemers. He'd come to Christ a year earlier. We had, he'd become very dear, him and his wife, to us. They were in our cell group. And I did his funeral, but all I could think about was a year earlier when he sat in my office, I so much wanted to take my cell phone and take a picture of him at the moment he got saved. And the reason I tell you that is because when he said to me, I want this, I want to be saved. And I said, then Mike, all you have to do is respond to God and place your faith in the one who died and rose again for you. And instead of going like this, he went like this, looked up, put his hand on his heart with tears streaming down his face. He said, oh, God, I want this. I want you to save me. And I thought to myself, I think God was already working in his heart, don't you? He made the confession because with the mouth, you confess unto salvation. It, it, it all happens more or less simultaneously. But this is the way it always worked. God opens, we respond. God regenerates, we receive. The, the, look at the phrase, pay attention. You see that? Some of your Bibles may say something like responded because that's what it means. It means to respond, means to turn. The word the phrase pay attention was, is actually used in another passage of Scripture in the New Testament. It's translated addicted, which I think is very interesting. 
It's translated addictive because the idea when if you are an alcoholic, you are addicted to alcohol. You gotta have it, right? You gotta have it. That's the idea here. When God opens up your heart, you gotta have him. The guy who shared Jesus with me at John Deere was a country bumpkin. He'd been in a motorcycle accident two years earlier. He spoke like this. There was nothing eloquent about him. But I had to listen to him because God was drawing me in, because God was opening my heart. We're not talking about just having your brain opened here. We're talking about having your heart opened by God. He opens up the heart of Lydia. She gets baptized. She invites the crew into her house. It becomes a mission station, and the church in Philippi begins. So seriously, this morning, how would you describe your heart? Some of you would admit that your heart is angry. You're an angry person. Many of you are anxious. You're a worrisome person. My biggest concern for some of you, and I'm talking to all you kids right now too, as well as adults, some of your hearts are ambivalent. You just don't care. That's the scariest heart of all, the one that doesn't care. If you're in any of those categories or more that are negative, maybe today something's happening in your heart that hasn't happened before. And God is opening this thing up. And you're saying, I got to have him. Pay attention. Respond. Go to him. I'm concerned about some of you who have been in the church for most of your life and you're still not saved. You prayed a prayer because somebody told you to pray a prayer. But God never opened your heart. You become religious, but you're not righteous. And only God can make you righteous. Adrian Rogers once said, whatever I talk you into, somebody else can talk you out of. But what God talks you into is yours forever. And that's a true statement. Is God talking you in to believing on his son this morning? How would you describe your heart? Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you so much for this opening salvo on the book of Philippians. What a great book. What a wonderful epistle. So filled, Lord, with fellowship and joy and heart attitudes. And we, we recognize, Lord, that we, we all, I need a heart examination continuously. So as we come under your microscope, as we come under your divine x-ray, God, help us not to turn from you. Expose those things that need to be exposed. Reveal to us the anomalies of our hearts so that we might repent 
and begin walking with you. And God, there are people in this room who are not righteous. They do not have righteous hearts. They have religious hearts, but not righteous hearts. And some of them even now, Lord, as I pray, are saying to themselves, God, that's me. And thank you for cracking open my heart heart right now. Like Lydia, I want to respond. Pay attention. Come towards you. I pray that you would save souls in this room right now, dear God. I pray for young people in this room who are ambivalent. They could care less about spiritual things. But I pray your Holy Spirit, because only he can do it, would open up their hearts to believe. Be thou exalted, Lord, we pray. In all these things, in Jesus' name, amen.